Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Arctic Justice by Harold Willard Gleason, first published in Argosy Action Stories of Every Variety, in May first, nineteen thirty-seven issue. Um, on the table of contents, there's a line from the poem as the description. Uh, it goes, "The spoilers doom." La Long Traverse. And that's uh, a line from the second stanza of this three stanza poem about uh, Arctic adventure, Arctic tragedy, Arctic. Well, it's called Arctic Justice, is there? <laughs> Are you suggesting the title is uh, mistaken? I'm. I'm. I I'm considering that. Yeah, I I'm not sure what to make of this poem, but I do really enjoy it. So, uh, before we uh, actually have you read it, uh, you've done some homework on on Harold Willard Gleason, somebody I'd not heard of before I found this poem. Uh, would you care to share? Well, he I didn't find a lot, but uh, what I found it seems to indicate that he was a New Englander of privilege. Born in 1895, lived to 1975, died at the age of 79. Um, he went to Boston Latin School. He went to Harvard. He went to Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and then, starting in 1917, he taught at uh, the English department at Kingswood School. Uh, he was, in fact, the chair of the English department for 23 years until he left there in 46. Um, and then he clearly spent his life primarily as a writer. He was a writer in residence at the Maine Writers Conference for four years. Um, he was part of the Classical Association of New England, the Poetry Society of America. Um, but he never, as far as I know, um, as far as I knew, I mean, you've not heard of him. Mm-hmm. I hadn't either. Um, never made a big splash uh, in the literary world. And yet, despite the fact that his life, his, his works may look sort of light. I mean, the first thing you find out is his poems were published in the anthology of Kingswood School. Right? So, I mean, you know, I mean, a teacher publishing in the in the school literary magazine. Mm-hmm. But it turns out he also published in The New Yorker, Poetry, The New York Times, American Mercury, and then other glossier magazines like Good Housekeeping and Saturday Evening Post. So this fellow had a way of of being able to reach the masses and sort of sneak his stuff by. Was he really a heavyweight or not? And um, my recollection, Jesse, is that you had felt that this was sort of a a pleasant poem. Mm -hmm. And uh, And a fun poem. It had it had yeah. uh, the colloquial language that I, I like. It has the setting of adventurous in the north that I like. It has a little bit of uh, metaphor that makes me think it's uh, a weird tale, you know, talking about werewolves <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah. people becoming wolfish. Yeah. 
And I, I and I think it is. It can be read that way. But just like his life, and it's it looks like it's just nice and okay, uh, privileged, but but superficial. Um, by golly, it may be something deeper. And I I think that there is um, a lot going on here, particularly when one thinks of its uh, origins. Uh, it's a three stanza poem. But each of the stanzas is itself a Shakespearean sonnet, not an unreasonable thing for a, uh, an English teacher to want to use. But mm-hmm. Shakespearean sonnets are typically thought of as a form for love poetry, love poetry of a, a thoughtful kind. The last couplet with which it is A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. That last couplet typically gives a twist in the understanding of what's going on. So it's a thoughtful love poem, but but it's love poetry. And here what we get are three of them in a row strung together to make a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, you were pointing out to me before we began that each of the stanzas has its own title. Um, mm-hmm. The crime, the punishment, and retribution. So... Uh, that reminded me, I recall, of uh, The Hemp by Stephen Vincent Benet, uh, which we have done on this podcast as episode 37, which is a, a ballad of pirate revenge in, or maybe pirate justice, <laughs> off the coast of uh, uh, the southern United States, uh, off the Carolinas. And... Um, Similarly, I, I'm, I don't recall if it's in there, but in The Cremation of Sam McGee by Robert Service, which is also uh, on this podcast as episode 34, there's that that sense of um, extreme, extremists, where you're on the border of life and death, you have to make harsh decisions, uh, maybe gruesome decisions. Here, we've got a pocket version of those two epics. <laughs> those two ballads, those very long, um, enjoyable poems, completely with different tone. The hemp is very dark and very grim. And the cremation of Sam McGee, although technically it should be dark and grim, is a comedy. Um, here, uh, I think we are leaning towards the dark and grim, but it's so brief and there's so many questions that it raises. Uh, what it exactly is makes it a little deeper than it feels, perhaps, on a first light reading. I guess I would not only agree, but point out that uh, just as the final couplet in a Shakespearean sonnet asks one to step back and think about what's going on, uh, maybe this poem, too, uh, looks finally more substantial because of how it gets us to stop, come back, and think about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Shall uh, we read it? I'd love you to read it for us. Uh, I'm going to slow down enough to try to emphasize the, the literary form. Please do. Arctic Justice. The Crime. Five snowbound moons of shuddering loneliness the Arctic trapper fought with ruthless foes, with winter swift to strike at man's distress, with gnawing hunger haunting all repose, with prowling wolf and king-fanged carcajou that stalked him slavering savage on the trail, 
with fear, the howl of phantom Luke Garou, shrill in the shadows round his wangan frail. Then, with the crash and roar of shattering ice, the slithering hush of snow from bush and tree, came March, reprieved to him no common vice, beckoned, but God, five months of fish and tea. He robbed a cache, the mark H.B. it bore, and wolf till glutted, he could gorge no more. The Punishment Back at the post, he scanned each face. No eye of those grim fur-clad factors gathered there showed pity, downward pressed the leaden sky. Chill, stinging sleet with menace filled the air. No mercy. Woe betide the waster rash, the selfish fool who, unassailed by need, dare violate a cairn-protected cache, stern, sacred symbol of the Arctic creed. Dogs snapped and snarled. He slung upon his back the futile thong-bound pouch of food allowed, <laughs> ironic touch, to stay his lonely track into the dread white void. Then shoulders bowed, lurched outward, rackets creaking with a curse to face a spoiler's doom, la longue traverse. Retribution. Come soon, come soon, through crusted lips, the prayer wailed eerily across the frozen waste. With broken back, the outcast huddled there, already miles away with clumsy haste, shuffling taxed rackets groaning toward the post, a chance-met courrier, bereaved bleak, wild, braved bleak wilderness for help. Before the exile, like a ghost, Black gathering storm clouds mocked his sore distress. Each move, sheer sweating agony, he fed the blaze beside him from a scanty store of jack pine branches. Faint afar, the dread howl of a wolf rose shrill. He knew no more. Ere gale torn scud revealed a baleful moon, his piteous plea was answered Death came soon so the only note on this particular publication probably the only publication of this poem uh as to vocabulary words it was with the first stanzas hb hb standing for hudson's bay it says at the bottom there uh, but there are lots of other little words here and there that are maybe a little less common than others. I, I knew some of them. I'm a big fan of Loop Garou. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, werewolf is the uh, translation from the French. Um, and w in fact, we've done another uh, podcast on a werewolf poem from Quebec. And there is a lot to this poem that is about the Courier du Bois the um, uh, fur traders. And in fact, this could be a fur trader poem, but it has other stuff going on in it. Amongst uh, those other great vocab words is the carcajou, <laughs> right. which is uh, French for wolverine. And um, we have raquettes mentioned twice, the creaking raquettes, lurched outward raquettes creaking with a curse. I love it. 
uh, raquettes um, are the same things as rackets, except they're the kind you put on your feet. They're snowshoes. Right. Uh, and uh, the maybe the most uh, interesting is, again, from the first stanza, shrill in the shadows round his wangan frail, or wangan, <laughs> depends on how you want to say it. Um, now, this is actually um, not a French word, exactly. It's a Abenaki word. It's probably the best way of putting it, um, which is kind of the trading language of the East North America. Um, we have one out here. Um, uh, Chinook Wawa is the one for the West. And we have lots of fun words there. But theirs uh, includes uh, Wangan or Wangan. And it has multiple meanings. One is a pit trap. Another is container or a cache or a boat. Um, there's probably a few other ones, but actually you just get the idea of it's, it's a, it's a holder, right? It's a, a container. Now here, the way it's used as a, his wangan, right? I would think it's actually probably none of those things. I would think it's his, his, um, his cash, his personal mobile cash, either his backpack or it doesn't mention here that he has a dog sled, but anything that would be in his dog sled. And I'm assuming it's a guy here too, <laughs> but it does say his. So it doesn't, we don't, we don't really know that much about the, the main character. I'm, I'm so I kind of thought maybe I jumped too hastily to mm-hmm. my inference. I thought that it was uh, one of the, the meanings of Wangan is uh, a kind of flat bottom boat. It is, it is a boat. And when it says that, you know, he was stuck there, he heard the howls, phantom howls, so perhaps it wasn't actually there in reality, of a loop garou, shrill in the shadows round his wangan frail, then with the crash and roar of shattering ice comes a reprieve. So I thought that he was hauling, this this fur trader perhaps, is hauling his own uh, provisions with him. In a boat. It's entirely possible. And and he's stuck until March comes and the ice breaks up. So now he can move again. Yeah. um, Similarly, though, uh, we see this in Call of the Wild. Um, The if you have a dog, that's why I'm a little bit unclear as to whether he has a dog sled or not. There's a lot of dogs in this poem, but none of them seem to be his unless He's eaten them all. <laughs> um, but a, a dog sled, if left on ice, will freeze to it and uh, provide no means of escape except by the, you know, the cracking of it. And you, you have to be pretty strong to do that. And especially if you've eaten your dogs, you're not going to be able to do that. You need to sort of waggle it back and forth and... Um, crush, you know, hit at it, and then hopefully it'll crack open. But I agree, it's more likely that it's it's a, a boat, but it just doesn't say. And with all of those, uh, with all of those meanings, um, I, I always think of the one for the West Coast out here is the word skookum. Skookum is an adjective meaning fast, quick, good, uh, quality. Um, dangerous, sharp. <laughs> um, so you can say that's a skookum car you got there. 
<laughs> and it means it's a slick car, fast car, an expensive car, a good quality car. Um, watch out for the Skookum Waters. Um, they'll drag you away, right? Huh. Here, the Wangan that he has... Um, can also be conflated with the cash that he soon finds because it's it's a container is the main meaning, right? So yeah. when he his wangan uh, is frozen, uh, uh, let's just go over the plot a bit, I guess, because it's a, it's not super clear what's going on. He, he's doing making us do a little work, but he's been stuck until March, right? Five months. He told us five snowbound moons. And he has food, right? Yeah, but only fish and tea. And that's not enough for him. So what's he do? He robs a cache. The mark of HB. Well, what is that cache doing there? We're told. It's, uh, it's basically a provision for desperation. And it's part of the Hudson's Bay's trading system. So it's like a emergency reserve and it needs to be topped up. If you take something from it, you need to, you know, let the, the fort know because if somebody's out there and they're in desperation, they're going to need to get into that cash. And what's he do? He just gorges himself like a wolf. In fact, he wolfs it, glutted until he could gorge no more. Not uh, the worst crime in the world, but he's punished for it. Well, it's not the worst crime in the world in a land of plenty. Mm -hmm. But unnecessarily consuming sustenance that might save someone else's life. Maybe it's not the worst crime in the world, but it's, it's a real crime. It is a crime. No doubt about that. And it's interesting. We don't find out how they know. Back at the post, he scanned each face. No eye of those grim fur-clad factors gathered there showed pity. They know, somehow, that he has glutted himself upon this cash. And these factors, uh, factor is a, another Hudson's Bay Company-style term. It basically means traders, people working for the company. Um, uh, there's a town somewhere in Saskatchewan called Moose Factory. <laughs> They don't make mooses there, but uh, it's it's the idea of a a trading uh, trading post and the people who run it. A factor is a major player. Back at the post, he scanned each face. No eye of those grim fur-clad factors gathered there showed pity. And then we have this ellipsis: downward pressed the leaden sky, chill stinging sleet with menace filled the air. No mercy. So he has no pity from any people at the trading post, the Hudson's Bay trading post, no doubt. Um, he has no pity from the atmosphere. No mercy. Woe betide the waster rash, the selfish fool who, unassailed by need, dare violate a cairn-protected cache Stern sacred symbol of the Arctic creed. It doesn't seem like there's even a law been broken. It's a creed. Dogs snapped and snarled. He slung upon his back the futile thong-bound pouch of food aloud. 
So they'll give him some food, but they're not liking it. To stay his lonely track into the dread white void. Then, shoulders bowed, lurched outward, raquettes creaking with a curse to face a spoiler's doom, la longue traverse. So he's been sent away. We don't even have a line of dialogue with any of the people in the post. Something has been done to him. Some accusation, some... Basically, he's been exiled. He's been turned into a... a... What would they call it in the old days? A wolf's head, like Robin Hood, right? An outlaw, no longer protected by the creed of of the courier de bois then we get the the actual retribution worse than the punishment is the retribution or maybe not this is the most interesting stanza really hard to understand what's going on but where we had wolves and werewolves in the first stanza and dogs and uh, ghosts in uh, dogs and um, uh, doom in the second stanza. We have a ghost in the third stanza and our first line of dialogue. Come soon, come soon through crusted lips the prayer wailed eerily across the frozen waste. Notice there's no attribution. With broken back the outcast huddled there already miles away with clumsy haste, shuffling, taxed raquettes, groaning towards the post, a chance-met courier braved bleak wilderness for help. So, who's talking? Clearly there's uh, an omniscient third-person narrator here mm-hmm. who's choosing to tell us whatever, he, I'll call it, he wants. Um, I say he because we have no sense there are any females involved in this world at mm-hmm. all. Um I I have a way of reading it. Um, mm-hmm. It may be that I'm reading it too simply, but um, but I have a way of reading it. Um, I see at least two different things going on here that that work together. One is that man is facing the privations of nature, the extremities of nature. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy for man to do this. He he comes out alone. He carries his provisions or drags his provisions or he rows his provisions with his wangan in his wangan. Um, he is going into uh, alien territory with the hope of, in effect, stealing from it. Mm-hmm. The only way that man can survive is by working not alone, but in groups, whether the group is physically present at, in each other's company at any given moment. is not the point. I mean, I feel myself to some extent protected by police here in my home, even though there are no policemen anywhere in my sight, but I live in a world that is patrolled by police and judges and so on. Um, so these cairns, um, which are set out, they're set out, one presumes, in the good weather. Mm-hmm. When people can go out there and they make a cache, they 
put them up. The Hudson Bay Company is making them available in order to have people who are sent out to find safe furs, which they will then sell to the Hudson Bay Company, which has an exclusive license to do this. Um, they'll be able to survive in the bad weather. So what we have is civilization versus nature. And it's a story of a man, a certain individual, who tries to go out and steal, but instead of stealing from nature, he goes and steals from man. Mm -hmm. He steals from civilization. And what then happens? It seems to me that... Um, what has been done is that he's come in. Um, someone has already noticed that the cache has been uh, violated. Perhaps uh, someone who got there also you know, a day later, a day earlier. Um, they know he's done it. And they're sending him back with food to restock mm -hmm. the cache. But he has to do it now when it's just become spring. We're not in the summer. I mean, this is still a darn hard time to do it. And the weight of the food upon his back broke it. Now he's got his back broken can certainly be a metaphor. But in this instance, I think it is actually that his back is broken. It's been laden down with food given him by the collectivity of civilization to go and replace what he did, what he took. Mm -hmm. The weight of it broke his back. Someone went for help, but he couldn't survive it. And so come soon, come soon. What he wants to get is death. His his plea is answered. He's also he's also talking to the uh, it, it's a double meaning, right? That come soon, come soon. He's talking to this chance met courier. Uh, maybe, but it says at the end. His plea was answered. Oh, death yes. came soon. Yes, it's um, for sure. He's he's calling for death. I think so. Lips. Yeah, um, and, and he's got a broken back. I mean, it's mm -hmm. you know. Uh, now I notice. I have no idea if Gleason had this in mind. Uh, classically, there are four kinds of justice. There is um, restorative justice, which is you, you did something wrong, make it right again. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. The post people have said to our main character, mm -hmm. go out and refill the cash. There's also procedural justice, which is uh, you know, let's make sure that everybody is treated the same way. Mm -hmm. And then there's distributive justice. Let's make sure everybody has the same effect of what's going on. So, you know, justice suggests that we all have the right to vote if we're over a certain age. But it's distributive justice doesn't say that everybody, at least not in a communist society, everybody should get the same pay mm. in a capitalist society. They shouldn't distributive justice doesn't work that way here. So the kind of justice is culture dependent. The fourth kind of justice is retributive justice, mm -hmm. which is to say it's vengeance. Mm -hmm. It's it's punishment. So his punishment, which is the second stanza that's when they decide to send him out on La Longue Traverse. That was the punishment. The question is, was this restorative justice that they may have intended? Because after all, it is spring now. It's easier to, to move than it was before. 
or is it retributive justice? And it turns out, because the weight of the food is so heavy that it breaks his back, that it's retributive justice. So what he gets here is justice, but it's the vengeance of society, of civilization, on someone who ignores the needs of civilization. It's not that he did anything wrong if he had been in need of what was in that cash, but he was unassailed by need. He just didn't like a diet of fish and tea. Mm. I love the underline. Uh, it's it's so underlined that that it's it it's not a werewolf story on the surface, but that's totally what it is uh, underneath, and it's so obvious. It, it it's in every stanza, but it's especially in the first and the third. So I'm just going to go over those lines again because I, I just love werewolf stories with gnawing <laughs> hunger, haunting all repose. Repose being rest. He can't sleep, right? With prowling wolf and keen fanged carcajou that stalked him, slavering savage on the trail with fear, the howl of phantom loop guru. He's hearing the howl of a ghostly werewolf. <laughs> yep. And then when he does the horrible deed, it's basically. Uh, sin like cannibalism, something you don't do. Um, he is punished, sent back. The dogs on the way out of town in the second stanza snapped and snarled, and his raquettes, so burdened with with the weight of his his uh, punishment, uh, creak with a curse. To face a spoiler's doom, la long traverse. Well, it could just be, oh, it's a long march back, right? But actually, the punishment isn't the justice that he gets. It's a horrible justice. It, it's basically, I, I love this. It's so horrible. Um, it says, come soon, come soon. He, so I, I see this as him talking to both death <laughs> And also the chance uh, met courier, but maybe not. Uh, come soon, come soon. Through crusted lips, the prayer wailed eerily across the frozen way. So this is also uh, a kind of howl, right? Yeah. With broken back, the outcast huddled there. The outcast being the man uh, who's being punished or yes. in this case retributed. Already miles away with clumsy haste, shuffling tax raquettes, groaning towards the post, a chance met courier braved bleak wilderness for help. So he's calling to a to someone who happened upon, upon him as he sits there broken-backed. Um, he says, get help, get help. But he's not only calling to the courier. He's also calling to someone else, I think. And it goes... Before the exile, like a ghost, black gathering storm clouds mocked his sore distress. Each move, sheer sweating agony he fed, and when you're sweating in the cold, that is not a good thing. Uh, each move, sheer sweating agony he fed. Notice that fed. The blaze beside him. We, we had a blaze in the first stanza, and that's the savage hunger that he had. Uh... Of jack pine branches, faint afar, the dread howl of wolf rose shrill. 
something else is out there in the Arctic waste besides him. He oh. knew no more. <laughs> it, it, it may be that, that there's something else out there than him, than he, but it, it may also be that he separates from himself and doesn't realize that Absolutely. he is, is the monster. Absolutely. Just as in the Wendigo psychosis in Northeastern Absolutely. Uh, North that, America. That is underscored in the very next line. Ear Gale Torrance God revealed a baleful moon. And we know we actually had five moons in the first stanza, five snowbound moons. And here we've got another moon. And that moon is, is a full moon in my view. His piteous plea was answered. Death came soon. Yes. I, w- I would underscore, to use your term, the last line of the first stanza. He wolfed mm-hmm. till glutted he could gorge, gorge no more. He thinks that there's a loop galo. Yep. It's a phantom loop galo, but he has been turned into a wolf. Yep. Now, in the classic werewolf story, the werewolf, the man who becomes, despite what he may want to do, becomes a wolf. You know, even a man who says his prayers by night can turn to a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the moon is full and bright. Mm-hmm. That man, Lon Chaney, <laughs> that man who becomes the wolf is tormented by the fact of his own wolfish nature mm-hmm. coming out. And when we see him struggle, I can't remember a single werewolf story in which ultimately the man is freed of his wolfishness. Mm-hmm. I can only remember the man surviving by being by having the wolf killed. And, and, and that's what happens here. That uh, is, there is a werewolf. He's the werewolf. And he is the one who would kill men by eating their sustenance. Yep. A werewolf story is about attacking one's fellows. Destro- it's being outside society, being outside of polite society, but any society. If you are traveling with werewolves, you will get bit. <laughs> it just, it, you cannot be trusted. And as a man, everyone in the factor, factory at the post knows this about him. We can't trust him. Indeed. So they sent him out to enact restorative justice. But because he is not trustworthy, it turns out to be retributive justice. Mm -hmm. I'd like to add, this is a little odd for how we've been doing these podcasts. There is a book I would like to make uh, people aware of. It's called Sharp Teeth Mm. by Toby Barlow. It is not about werewolves, but dogs, but large ones, mastiffs and so on, that form packs in modern-day Los Angeles. Hmm. And one can see this as an obvious, you know, way of dealing with um, one group like movie industry executives versus another group like lawyers. It's easy enough to suggest that there's rapacity among the denizens of modern Los Angeles. Um, I will just say this about this book. Um, I liked it very much, Sharp Teeth by Toby Barlow. It is about where dogs in modern day Los Angeles. It also turns out to be a love story because it probes the relationship between the where dogs and ordinary people. 
And if you liked Arctic Justice by Harold Willard Gleason, I should point out that Sharp Teeth is a novel in verse. Oh, cool. In other words, there is always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.com.